Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Hallelujah. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Um, Remain standing if you can. It says this, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, was, whom he had raised from the dead, meaning Jesus had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary. Thank God for the Marys of the church. Somebody say, thank God for the Marys of the church. Because Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, there's always one in the room, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put into it. And Jesus said, Let her alone, for she has kept this for the day of my burial. The poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. The reason I'm doing this is the Gospels. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. In other words, it's like uh, four different men wrote the Gospels, but all were sitting into a a different part of the room and heard and seen different things. So I want to give you a little bit different of a perspective in Luke chapter 10. Same story, starting at verse 38. We'll read through verse 42. And it says, Now as it happened, as they went, he, meaning Jesus, entered a village And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had her sister, who was called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet to hear his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to make this peanut butter and jelly alone? Okay, it doesn't say that. Has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Everybody say the good part, part. which will not be taken away from her. You may have your seats. This particular scripture reveals uh, to us that this ointment was extremely uh, expensive. The Bible doesn't indicate the exact cost. Uh, The only indication is where Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus, says, why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii? So it doesn't necessarily reveal the value of what was just poured on Jesus and used on him, but it does give an indication of the worth. And so the big question is, is what made this so valuable? As I was doing some research this week, I found out that this particular flower uh, can only be found in northern India. It was uh, extracted from a plant that they called uh, nard, or hence the ointment is called spikenard. 
And the ointment was worth in that flask or that box, it was about a year's wage. So obviously it was pretty expensive. And some scholars believe that this was worth about to be in the figure of about $54,000. So it was a year's wage. And if you understand in biblical times, not there wasn't very many rich people. There were very few rich people. You were either born into money or you had money yourself out of a business that you, that you started. So this is $54,000 worth of oil. Everybody say oil. oil. Perhaps her entire life savings. And I thought to myself uh, the past couple days, this is exactly what our love for Jesus will do. True love for Jesus can cause you to be in debt. And I believe that's exactly what happened to her. The Bible doesn't say that she didn't have any more money, but there, there's some indication that she literally gave her livelihood. As I was thinking about today's holiday, being Father's Day, um, I have to tell you, and I told the team this in the back room, I've been to many, many different Father's Day services, and if I could be quite honest, can I be a little bit vulnerable? It's always been a sore subject. Uh, I didn't grow up with a dad, as many of you know. He was killed when I was nine years old, and the, the nine years that I did see him, I probably can count on one hand that I did see him. Those times that I did see him, I did, I did enjoy, but... You know, I never really kept tabs on when Father's Day was. When I showed up to service um, and I uh, found out it was Father's Day, I wanted to tuck my tail. But out of respect, you know, sometimes they kind of pack you in and you have to step on people's toes to get out. So I kind of tolerated the service and I would stay in the services respectfully. But knowing in my mind, I probably, if it was going to be a typical message about how great fathers are, I didn't have that same experience. So many of those services were pretty uncomfortable for me. And I have a feeling that there are a few people in here that share that same uh, thought or feeling. But as I was reflecting on different holidays throughout the year, I hear of people going in debt over different holidays. Um, one being uh, Christmas, over Christmas gifts, although that is related to Christ. Uh, um, there's another uh, high, ex high expenditure uh, holiday. I didn't know this. that falls in second place as being the most, consumers spend the most money during that time is Easter. Did anybody know that? Easter, both Christ-centered holidays, and most money is spent on first Christmas and then Easter. That's something I just found out this past week. People go into debt over these things. They go into debt over education, not just holidays. People go into debt through car loans and weddings and mortgages. Somebody say amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> Expensive electronics. And so I found out that just Christmas alone, consumers spend approximately $630 billion, with a B, $630 billion during Christmas time alone. That's nearly 10 times more than the other five highest rated holidays. That being said, you never hear of people going into debt during Father's Day. I mean, have you ever heard someone going into debt over a coffee mug or a T-shirt 
Come on, all the dads say amen. Look at your wife and say, get better at getting those gifts. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. Don't get me in trouble for starting the day off right. You don't go into debt over buying a hat. You don't go into debt over buying a t-shirt or a pair of shoes. Although I did wake up to a really nice Bible this morning. Don't tell her, but I think she spent a couple hundred on it. I mean, it was really nice. It was engraved, the best Bible I'd ever seen before my wife got me. It was a very, very special gift. But we don't go into debt generally over Father's Day. And so when I think about today, as I was reading this scripture, I thought about how much Mary went into debt over pouring her oil out on her heavenly father, our heavenly father. Oh, and just before you think that Jesus wasn't our heavenly father, don't want you to think I'm a heretic, but I I thought about John chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, and he, and he has this conversation between him and himself and Thomas, and he says this. He says, if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And from, from now on, you, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be a sufficient enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you have not yet known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so how can you say, show us the Father? And so all that being said, I want to minister this message very quickly and prayerfully. It cuts to the heart of, of many of you as it relates to the season that we're all in, I believe, in our relationship with the Lord. And it's called Father's Day Debt. So look at somebody and say, Father's Day Debt. And, and what, I, what I pray happens today is that something is released in this room that envelops your heart and impassions your heart so much to the degree that you are one step closer in your relationship with Christ after leaving this meeting. And I pray that you are willing to give up anything and pour out any level of sacrifice upon him because he's worthy. Somebody say, he's worthy. And that's what happens when people fall in love. There's nothing or no amount of money that a person will withhold to display one's love and devotion when they're head over heels. Amen? There was a song I was listening to this morning. Y'all are going to laugh at me. I told the team in the back. Some of you won't know it, especially you young people. I'm young too, but, you know, 20 and under, maybe 25 and under. His name is Fred Hammond, and there's this song from 1998. I'm not going to sing it. Stop looking at me like that. It's called Just to Be Close to You. Just to Be Close to You. It's about a two-minute song. Just to Be Close to You. You know what I'm finding out in my own relationship with God? The more I give of him, the more he gives to me. And it's not a matter of God wanting to give you more of himself this morning, more of his presence, more of his spirit. The question is, is what are you withholding from him this morning? And can I tell you that he gives of himself to the degree that we give our lives to him? But there is a cost to it, and that's one of the first things I want to talk about this morning because oftentimes we hear these clarion calls, these trumpeting calls into our relationship with God, and we're told these 
amazing promises, and they are amazing. They get me pumped up. We hear these amazing promises about his presence in our life and how God wants to move in power and in demonstration in our lives, and he wants to pour out his blessings in such ways that we don't have room enough to receive it, and God's, God's power wants to so dwell in us that when we pray for someone, that person is healed, or when we pray for a certain circumstance, God will open the door. But can I tell you, there is a cost of closeness with Jesus. We don't hear much preaching about this anymore. We hear about the blessings, but we don't, we don't hear about the burden or the costliness of being close to him. And can, can I tell you something? Something stood out in this scripture. I want to read it one more time. You don't have to go there. It says, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil. Say it cost something. It was a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So this is what stood out to me. Normally, Jesus would have his disciples around him and would keep people from thronging Jesus. I mean, they even did it with little kids. I mean, Peter would say, try to shun the kids off. Does anybody remember that story? Remember when Jesus said, forsake not, for such is the kingdom of God? So he had an entourage. How many have ever seen that at you know, larger churches? We, they have entourages. I'm not knocking that, but I'm just saying that normally with a man of God, you will have other people around him to keep other people from getting to him. So what was it in this lady named Mary that, that, that gave her permission to get that close to Jesus? Somebody say it costs something. So he would, they would shun the kids away. They would say, don't come close to Jesus. Jesus would say things like I just quoted, forsake not for such is the kingdom of God. There was this woman who had a, had a daughter who had a, a demon, and she was wanting her, her daughter to be set free, and they try to, she tries to get close to Jesus, and the disciples say, send her away, and they're trying to push her away. And then Jesus, of course, honors her faith, and the demon-possessed daughter is set free from that very hour. So they had an entourage, but what was it in this woman that allowed, that, uh, that, that caused Jesus to give her the proximity? Can I tell you, it was what she was willing to pay, what she was willing to give. How many want to get close to the Lord in this season of their life? I want to talk to you about the cost of that this morning. We, we oftentimes look at this story and we, and we see this very costly pound of oil. But I think it goes so much further beyond that than just this earthly substance. It was, it's not about, and that's the thing about when you give, even financially, or you give of your time, because you're not really giving those things. It's, it's, it's about when you give of what's close to you and close to your heart, what's most important to you. And so one reason why I believe God has asked me to give a lot, I think, in my life is because I think as a young kid, I didn't have much. And so I held on to every little dime. Ask my mother, you know, she would go and, you know, people would go in my closet and open it and I'd have stashes of hundreds of dollars of bills. I'd be, I was, I've been working since I was about six years old, mowing grass and, you know, picking sticks up out of yards and pressure washing houses, just doing whatever I could to earn money. And so early on, God would begin to ask me to give financially a lot, not because he wanted my money, because he owns cattle on a thousand hills, but he wanted, he wanted to me, he wanted from me what was close to my heart. And, and as I think about this story is that perfume is very important. This just came to mind to you women. If you go into my bathroom, my wife literally has her own holy grail of 
perfumes. I've lost count after 100. She literally has probably 100 different perfumes. And so I believe that Jesus allowed her this type of proximity because not the level or the amount that she gave. It was because it was close to her heart. And listen, when you give what's closest to your heart to him, he allows you to get close to his heart. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? And closeness will cost you. People don't talk about this very much, like I said before. Closeness will cost you. When I had my encounter with the Lord when I was a young man, I was a teenager. I had lots of friends. Everybody wanted to hang out with me. We partied and we did everything that you... I was a heathen. I tell you guys all the time. I mean, we would party till 5 o'clock in the morning. But when I had my encounter with the Lord, within, within 12 months period, every friend that I had, every person that I had associated with, every person that I hung out with Friday through Sunday, they were nowhere to be found. Every friend, you know, like David said, all, of, all have forsaken me, forsaken me. I mean, when I started to get close with Jesus, I began to lose some things. And God, once you start to get, guys, when you start to get close to Jesus, be prepared to lose some things. But it's not those things that you're necessarily losing. God is just allowing those things to fall off so he can make more room for himself in your life. I wish I could get two or three loud amens off of that one. God will, God will oftentimes, when you get close to him, because it doesn't say that anybody else was there. Everybody else was busy serving. But when you get before the feet of the master and you get close to him, what happens is you will lose things that have and serve no eternal value to your destiny. You will begin to lose friendships. So for the next three years, you could catch me upstairs after work reading my Bible. I would call my friends. They wouldn't answer. I would show up to the party. They would treat me a little differently. Yes, I was saved, but I was a little too saved to not do what they were doing, but I was too unsaved to have new Christian friends. Yeah, I was that guy with the tank top in the front raising my hands every Sunday. I didn't understand the etiquette, didn't have any saved friends, so that's all I knew. But I began to lose those relationships based on my proximity to him. And so I want you to say this this morning. What you're willing to give determines what access he gives to you. And can I tell you, closeness with the Lord looks far beyond a Sunday morning. It goes far beyond that. It goes far beyond a worship song. It goes far beyond a prayer meeting. It goes far beyond a rakaka and a shakaka. It goes all far beyond that stuff. I'm proximity with Jesus looks much better than that. He wants to be close to you. And can I tell you this morning, if you do not feel his presence when you walk inside this church this morning, it's not the church's fault. Because if you're not practicing his presence Monday through Saturday, then I highly doubt. He may allow you glimpses, but if you're not taking your hair and pouring out your ointment Monday through Saturday, come on. I highly doubt he will allow you to experience the fullness. And that's what, that's what practicing his presence does. It not, it's not that he loves one individual less than another. It's all about proximity. It's all about uh, earning trust with him. How close are you to the Lord this morning? What you, what you determine in your heart to give to him will determine the access, will determine the access that he gives you. Knowing those disciples, they would have pushed that woman away. 
but yet he allows her close. Why? Because the level of sacrifice determines how close you will get to him. What is it in your life that you're unwilling to give to the Lord this morning? I hear many people, they come to me all the time. How do I get close to the Lord? One of the first things I want to ask them is, what are you unwilling to give up? What are you unwilling to sever? What relationship? What, what, what career? And I'm not saying leave your career. He's not asking you to do what the disciples did. Maybe he is. He's not asking you to move into to the Himalaya mountains. But let me tell you this. God will oftentimes want to remove things in your life that have taken precedence in your life. Not to, not to, yes, he wants to rid you of you, but more than that, he wants to be close to you. He wants to draw you into himself and things that are attached to our lives that take precedence in our life over him will keep us from gaining full access to him. And I believe that we're living in a day where God wants to release a greater level of his glory, a greater level of his presence. And we have to be willing not to just lay aside every weight and sin. And I preach repentance, but he wants, excuse me, he doesn't just want us to lay aside sin. He doesn't want us to just lay aside ungodly habits. He wants us to get into alignment and lay aside weights, things that have been keeping us back, holding our momentum back from climbing and ascending into the holy hill. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord except he who has clean hands and a pure heart? Yes, God will allow you to touch certain things in your lives that aren't necessarily sin, but it will limit you from going higher in him. Is drinking sin? No. Abuse is sin. Alcohol abuse is sin. But is having a glass of wine? Sin. No. Do you know why I don't? Because it affects my climbing higher. Does God still love that person? Absolutely. The Bible talks about having wine for the stomach. But I don't cut certain things out of my life because, not, not because, it's, it's, it's all an attempt. It's all an attempt to get closer. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Without holiness. I want you to look at somebody and say that. Without holiness, you will not see the Lord. Yes, you'll be able to drink of the world's pleasures and do what the world does and still get to heaven. Yes, and you may. But he will only allow those proximity to be at his feet who have paid a price to be close. And when does he allow you that proximity? When you get, give everything. God only makes deals like this. It's not what you give. It's always, always, always about what you're not willing to give. God accepts the worship where, Lord, I'll give you anything. Yes, Lord, I'll tithe. Yes, Lord, I'll give an offering. Yes, I'll show up on Sunday morning. But he's, he's not necessarily concerned with that. He wants to know what is it that you keep in your secret cubbyhole that you're not willing to give. And let me tell you something, saints, this morning. It's that thing, the thing that you're not willing to give, that mindset, that propensity, that desire, that thing that you esteem higher than him. It's that thing that's keeping you from being at his feet. I'm not talking about sin. It wasn't a sin for me to be so busy at work. For some it is. But it was taking away from the good part. And what you do for Christ, that's the only thing that will last. When you take your last breath, 
He's not going to ask, how hard did you work for me, Martha? He's not going to say, did you build your 401k, although that's great. He's not going to ask your credit score. He's not going to ask what empires you've built. He's not going to ask about your business. All that stuff is going to pass away. What he's going to ask is how close on this earth did you get to my feet? And that will determine your eternal reward. Oh, there is rewards. And the Bible says you'll either do two things. You'll either suffer loss or you'll have reward. I don't know about you, but listen, let me just tell you, if I'm not careful, I can turn into a workaholic. If I'm not careful, I have to physically carve time with the Lord. I have to do that. And in my family, see, my mom worked three jobs. She had to take care of three 200-pound boys. So, So not working in our home, we treat that stuff like a disease. Like, if you don't get up and work, you would not do well in my home. Like, we get up and we work hard, but we, but, but, but we are passionate pursuers of Jesus. We, you have to have both. It's a balance. I heard someone say this one time. They said, I, they, they, they pray as if God is the only one who can do it. But then when they get off their knees from praying, they go out there as if it all relies on them. Did you hear what I said? That's really good. That's worthy of being written down. Pray as if God is the only one who can make certain things happen in your life. But when you get up, you better get to work. I've hung out with preachers and pastors who all they did was have a prayer meeting and wouldn't get outside the walls of the church. There's prayer and action. Faith without works is dead. So how can we sing songs about how much we love him if we don't spend time with him? How do, we, how do we say we're you know, in love with the Lord? How do we say that, that he's in us and we're in him and we don't spend that type of quality time with him at his feet? How many have not heard the story of the Brownsville revival? How many have not heard that before? I want to see a show of hands. How many have not heard the story? How many have heard my story about what happened when I went to Brownsville? Let me ask again, how many have not heard that story? I want to tell you about it really quick. I see a few hands. As I told you before, I really struggled with Father's Day. And I don't, if any, and if anybody knows me, including ministers, um, I don't like to travel much. I, I've, maybe I'm making excuses, but I'm genuinely too busy to travel and do things at this point in my life. Maybe later on it might change. Um, but I felt something on this particular travel. Um, it was in Brownsville. It was uh, back in 2000. And was it 19, Joel? I brought uh, some of the staff uh, with me. And it was an anniversary of this, of what happened back in Brownsville Revival uh, under the leadership of Pastor John Kilpatrick. Um, and the worship leader at the time was Lindell Cooley. He had just signed on with them. And um, in 1995, uh, there was an amazing outpouring of God's spirit. And this church had been, they got prayer banners just like kind of what you see here. It looks a little bit different. And they prayed for two and a half years that God would come and visit them in a very, very special way. So this anniversary day had come up and it was again in Brownsville. And so me and the staff, we, we went and we drove seven hours. My friends were driving jet planes overhead and just waving at me. I'm driving in the car for seven hours. It was painful. I'm not going to tell you it wasn't. As I told you before, I don't like to travel. But, but I got there, and the conference was absolutely 
amazing and wrecked me in so many, so many good ways. But that wasn't what was special to me. What was really special to me is the day I was leaving, and I had to leave early Saturday morning in order to make service for Sunday. I needed to prepare. And so we all loaded up. But I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit on Friday night, and he said to me, because the event wasn't at the venue at Brownsville uh, Church. It was at another venue. It was at a larger stadium, an event center. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go to Brownsville. It was about five minutes away from the Airbnb that we were staying at. So we go there, me and the team. And so we make our way onto the property. And as we make our way onto the property, um, Joel, my good friend Joel behind the media desk, he walks up to the front door. And it's 7 o'clock in the morning, like, like 6.50 or 7 o'clock, something. Very, it was very early. There was nobody in the parking lot, not a car in the parking lot. And the front door is propped open. And I go into the foyer of the building. And as I, I walk in there, um, I walk in the sanctuary. The, the doors were closed. I, I opened them. They were like, they looked like Baptist doors. How many remember what the old Baptist churches looked like? The six pairs of wooden doors. And so I walk in the sanctuary. The lights are dimmed. And there's uh, the, the music, the worship is on slightly. The lights are dimmed, like intercession type atmosphere. And... Um, Immediately, the presence of God fills the room. And there's six, five or six of us there. I can't remember. Um, we go up to the, to the altar area, and we're down there for I don't know how long, maybe 20 minutes, something like that, Joel. And um, I was weeping. I just kept weeping and weeping and weeping. And we get up, and we hold hands. We're praying again. We're continuing to intercede. And then I turn around, and the doors are all propped open. And as I go out into the foyer, there's a young, young lady. She's probably in her mid-50s or early 60s. Um, she says, sir, how did, you, how did you get in here? I said, ma'am, um, actually, the front door was open. She said, sir, that's, that is not possible that the door was open. I, I literally just got here, and I'm the only one with the key to open up this morning. She said, when I got here, you guys were in the sanctuary. I said, yeah, but ma'am, the, the, the media is on, the, the music, the worship is playing, the, the lights are on. I said, I called for people, nobody answered. She said, sir, I just got here. It was impossible for you to get in these doors. And this has always been a historic landmark for me, this, this church and what happened in 1995. Because it was a church that was praying for, for two and a half years and an outpouring of God's spirit broke out and, and, and history tells us that over four million people were touched through that revival. They had packed out services year after year. Some say that the height of a revival lasted from one to the fifth year, but it actually extended 10 years. Uh, this revival. And so it's near and dear to my heart. And one reason why it's near and dear is because it happened on Father's Day. And I felt in that moment when this lady told me it was impossible for me to be in that sanctuary at that time because no one had opened the door. I felt like the, the Lord was opening the door of this church, inviting us into a great outpouring of his Holy Spirit, not to mimic what was before, but, but to position ourselves through prayer, through intercession, through fasting for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, one that has not been seen before. I don't know about you, but I want to do whatever it is I need to do, pay any price I need to pay to be at the master's feet, not to get what's in his hand, but to position myself, not for me to put my oil on him, but for him to put his oil on me. How many want the oil? 
And can I tell you that, that, that for two and a half years, I've been trumpeting this sound that there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to happen. And it's going to happen just five for four or five weeks right before the pandemic, or excuse me, the epidemic hit our soil before COVID hit. I had an encounter with the Lord. I'm in a service. And the Lord said to me, I went, I was supposed to go with my wife. She says, no, you, honey, you go by yourself. That's very rare. If you know my wife, she likes to be with me. I enjoy my time with her. We normally go together, but I felt I needed to be there. She said, no, you go. And it was very easy for me to go. She gave me no if, ands, or buts. So I go. And as soon as I go into the sanctuary, I, 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 I'm beginning to feel the presence of the Lord, like, like a ton of bricks. Like my heart is literally weighing down. And, and, I, and I hear these words, and I've, I've never, I almost heard the audible voice of God. It was almost audible. It was so strong, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. And he said these words to me, tell my people I'm coming. Tell my people I'm coming. And as I begin to hear these words, the worship song changes immediately, within 30 seconds, and the, 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 the lyrics are about the second coming of the Messiah. It's about the second coming of Jesus. Now, I could have bypassed even that one, but until I leaned over the front of my seat, the girl who is worshiping in front of me, I leaned over and her book is wide open and there's one blank page on the right, the left side is filled, and there's one, there's a shadow cast over the side of the page and it's lit up like a balloon and, 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 and it says coming on there. And all of a sudden, I felt to myself, I should take off my shoes because I'm standing on holy ground. I get home, and it was like, remember Joseph's, or excuse me, John the Baptist's father, when he doubted what was happening, his voice was taken. If you go back and you listen to the message that day that I preach, I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. My friend Matt Gilman, he came to my house uh, just right after that happened, and he looked at me like I was crazy. I couldn't speak. I said, Matt, the Lord spoke to me, and I talked about just like this. I couldn't speak. How many remember that? Who was here? And Matt looked at me crazy as I said, I had an encounter with the Lord, and the Lord told me to tell his people he's coming. Four or five weeks later, the epidemic hits. Can I tell you, everything that's happening in the world is a precursor to position ourselves for great awakening and outpouring? I said, this is a precursor to position us for great outpouring, to help us become aware of the position that we're in as a church. Can I tell you something? I hate to say it, church, but, oh, Jesus, help me say this. We have a lot of growth to go as a church, and I'm not talking about numbers. We talk about the sins of an individual's lives. We talk about homosexuality. We talk about perversion. We talk about lust. We talk about pornography. We talk about um, um, lying and cheating and stealing. But what about apathy? What about apathy? What about our hunger for the things of God? Where is our passion? Where is our desire? Where is our pursuits? We say we love him, but I see very little pursuit. I've been questioning and evaluating my life, just like the apostle Paul said this. He said, inspect your life. He said, evaluate your lives as to whether or not you're in the faith. I think oftentimes we lie to ourselves. We say that we're impassioned, but we're, we do very little scripture reading. We say we're impassioned, but we, we do very little praying, if any. Yes. 
And we say we want to move of God, but yet we're unmoved. You know what Smith Wigglesworth said? If I am not moved by the Spirit, I move the Spirit. This is not an arrogant statement. In other words, he's saying, I stir the gift within me. We need to stir ourselves up once again. We need to begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness like never before. I cannot tell you. Yes, I hear that. There's people all the time saying, they've been saying he's coming. They've been saying he's coming. But the Bible says that that will be the mindset of the generation where the Lord is coming. They will say things like, they've been saying he's coming for thousands of years. And the Bible says he will come like a thief in the night. Will he find you in faith? I don't know about you, but I want to be found in faith. So while I'm waiting, all I know is with my alabaster box, I want to spend wisely. Spend wisely. Look at somebody and say that. Spend wisely. Anybody who is an accountant would tell you you're a fool for spending $54,000 on some ointment and pouring it on somebody's feet. And can you imagine what his feet looked like walking through Jericho? I mean, I assume he came into the house with dusty feet. How foolish does it sound to spend everything all in one sitting? My wife oftentimes, because I'm a foodie, and I love chicken wings, as you can tell. I spend money. I don't spend money on much, but I spend a lot on food. And she'll always tell me, savor it, honey. You're eating like an animal. When you pour everything on Jesus in one sitting, he doesn't call it waste. He calls it worship. He calls it worship. And that's what he's wanting to put into the heart of every believer in this place. And that's what we're trying to do is build a culture of Marys that break open their alabaster box, and this is not a gender-biased thing. I'm tired of hearing how the women are the leaders of the prayer movement, and, and thank God for the wailing women. Thank God for those women who come and intercede on Wednesday night, but where are the men at? Where are the intercessors at? He says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, sons and daughters will prophesy. Amen. Young men would see visions. Old men would dream dreams. In those days, I would pour out my spirit, says the Lord. Somebody say, spin wisely. Spin Listen to this. The scripture says that Mary is the one who had the oil. Somebody say, Mary had the oil. It doesn't say anything about Martha having oil. Watch this. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him, meaning Jesus, and said, Lord, you, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And if you understand this, Jewish culture, if she was cooking, she had oil too. We all have oil. Say, we all have oil. So more than likely, if she was cooking, meaning she was serving, she was cooking up something in the kitchen. But only one oil got his attention. Everybody has oil in this room. What are you spending it on? So when I say spend wisely, in, in Martha's mind, she was serving a greater purpose. I'm serving Jesus. I'm volunteering I'm coming to church thinking that they're doing God a favor. 
Martha and Mary were both using oil, but only one oil got his attention. And it wasn't the one used by Martha when she cooked the food. What's the oil? The oil of worship. The oil of worship is what gets his attention. Why do you think we spend so much time worshiping? To give more attention to a sermon? We gladly give him the best part. Because there's only one thing that gets the attention of the master. And it's worship. I said it's worship. It's adoration. It's pouring our love on him. Can I just tell you this? As a young man, having the struggles that I did, and I believe in sermons, and I believe in Bible reading, and we all should do it. And that should be a part of our daily diet. But in my younger years in developmental stage, that first 10 years, every Friday night, I was at this worship service that lasts three hours long. And that's where true change and transformation took place in my life. That's where God birthed destiny. Why do you think we linger so much? It's because that's the time when he speaks. If you listen close enough, if you worship close enough, if you pour out your oil on him and you take advantage of what's happening in the room during worship, that's when the miracles happen. That's when our impartation happens. That's when deliverance begins to happen. That's when the Holy Spirit begins to move is when you put your attention upon him, when you set your adoration and your focus towards him. That's when the Holy Spirit begins to move. Preaching is encouragement where you get the word in you. But the Holy Spirit is what breathes the word, breathes on the word that was put in you through worship. And that's what causes growth. That's what causes fruit in your life. What Martha was cooking was so insignificant that the Bible doesn't even say what she was making. Was it a ham sandwich? Bologna sandwich from you southern people? How many remember those southern bologna and Mayonnaise sandwiches, y'all don't know nothing about that unless you're Southern. Fried bologna sandwiches, that's what us Southerners, you remember those um, sugar, what it was it, what did we use? Butter and cinnamon and sugar sandwiches when you didn't have no meat to buy? Y'all really, we was po. We didn't, we couldn't afford the R, okay? We was po. But the Bible doesn't say what she was making because it made no difference. It was insignificant. It's great that we serve God. It's great that we come to church. But can I tell you the only real significance that God gives attention to in the house of the Lord is your level of worship. That's what gets his attention. That's what gives, that's what allows him to give you the proximity to him that he wants to give is your worship. Say your worship. Come on, say your worship. That's what gets God's attention, not busyness. Worship does. For those of you who sit in the room like I was talking about the other day, we were talking about asbestos Christians. Fireproof. We have to, we, when we focus on what's going to happen next in the room, you miss him altogether. When you focus on when's this going to start, when, when are they going to start this, when are they going to end the service, your spirit can't even focus on what God is doing in the room. And can I tell you what? I say this with the fear of the Lord and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He will pass you by. 
If you do not wait for him to come, he'll just pass you by. He'll say, I love you and wave. But he will, the dove does not land where it's not welcomed. And we are branches here. This church is a branch. Even if he doesn't decide to land extraordinarily some Sunday, whatever it is, all the dead leaves, we clean and we make ourselves available for him. Whether he comes or not. We, so we linger. Yes, we do because we're a branch. Look at somebody and say, I'm a branch. Come on, put your arms out prophetically and say, Holy Spirit, land on me. That's where healings happen. That's where signs and wonders begin to break loose. That's where God begins to impart passion. That's when he begins to speak to you. So back to this oil thing. I'm going to let you go. I can hear my wife next door almost saying, don't be like Pharaoh and keep God's people too long. She'll be okay. Everyone has oil. And we all spend our oil in different ways. And like I said before, our oil is what we hold dearest to us. Some of us spend it on people. Some of us spend it on careers. Some of us spend it on leisure. Some of us spend it on school or education or bling. Or Facebook or friends. Instagram. Some of us spend it on our appearances. But we're all spending our oil on something. Oil is what we give our attention and our affections to. It's what we're giving our entire personhood to. I was recently talking to a really good friend of mine. I won't say his name, but he's probably the the most amazing saint that I've ever... He's a, fa- he's a father in the Lord to me. He's senior to me in the Lord. He's been such an, an instrument in my own personal life. And he was just being open and real and raw with me recently. And um, he doesn't necessarily have a home. He doesn't own a home. But he has served more than anyone I've ever met, including any clergy that I know. There's no pastor that I know there's no man of God that I know that has outserved this man. I know it's not a competition, but this particular individual has almost given his life to serving and shepherding God's people. And he's not known on a big platform, but let me tell you something, he is known in heaven because I wouldn't be ministering today if it wasn't for him. And there's many like me that can say the same thing. And I was talking to him and this man, this man just has given and given and given and given. And he said to me, and this stood out to me, I almost wept when he said this. And I never have talked uh, out of place to him, and I still didn't, but it was questionable this time. He said, maybe, he said, I don't really have anything, but he said, maybe I have given too much. I wonder, I wonder, I think maybe that's what Judas was thinking. Why are you giving so much? The Holy Spirit rose up in the, inside of me. I said, too much? I felt like I treated him like Reinhardt treated me that one time. I said, too much? I said, God forbid, when you stand before heaven, I said, you're never going to stand before the Lord and him say, well, you really outdid yourself. Why did you serve so much? Why did you give your life like the scripture said? There is no giving too much to Jesus. You cannot go to church too much. You can't pray too much. You can't fast too much. Okay, maybe you can fast too much health-wise, for your health, but you you understand, you you cannot give too much to him. And the more that you give of yourself, he will give that same measure back to you of himself. Amen? 
Hallelujah. I love John chapter six. It says this, do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the son of man will give to you because God the father has set his seal on him. Do not labor for food which perishes. The more I'm growing in the Lord, the, the more I'm seeing that even in my Christian walk, the pointless things that I give my time to. All in the name of Christianity. All in the name of serving. I'm very quick not to get too busy serving people more than I'm serving him. I'm always very keenly aware of that. Especially if it interrupts my time with him. Because out of your time with him gives you the strength to accomplish all the things that he calls you to do. Out of that, that's where your power lies is in spending time with him. That's where your energy, that's where, that's where the grace to do what he's called you to do comes from is at his feet. Is this too boring for you? One of the last things I want to talk about is the good part. Say the good part. Watch what it says here. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about and troubled about too many things, but one thing is needed. Everybody say one thing. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part that will not be taken, taken away from her. It's the good part. Worship is the good part. We oftentimes try to focus on the serving and doing all of these other things, and we miss the good part. This church, I want this church to be known for the good part. If, not, if, if anything that we do is not spawned out of a, out of a place of deep worship, do you know it, we will, it will not be accounted for in heaven. If it's not spawned out of worship, it has to be birthed out of worship. Let me, let me, make, let me make that practical. There's many people I know who go in their conference rooms and they sit down and they conspire as to what will draw the people. You know one of the biggest things they say? Make sure you don't worship too long. You'll lose the people. Make sure you don't go over 30 minutes. People's knees start getting tired. God forbid. Oh, it's quiet in the Presbyterian church. We, we, we've talked about maybe, maybe, maybe it's not growing because the worship is too long. We're using too much oil. We're using too much oil. But the only thing that God, who cares if they don't come? All we care about is whether or not he comes. Because there wasn't many people at his feet. You know why? Not many people were willing enough to pay the price to be at his feet. Because there is a cost to be at his feet. I don't know about you, but I want the record of me and I want the record of you all in heaven to be he chose the good part. She chose the good part. Say the good part. So I gladly give him the majority of the service, just in case you ever wonder. And no, we are not retracting on how long we worship. I pray he comes in such a way and envelops us in such a way that we get lost in the landslide of worship. 
I pray it comes a day when I do not need to stand behind this pulpit, but you stay on your faces for hours weeping. May these floors be flooded with tears. May we have to put slippery when wet signs everywhere across this building because of people weeping. May we need to carpet this place because it becomes a safety issue. Because it's filled with broken vessels. It's filled with broken alabaster boxes. May the Lord break our hearts open today for that kind of level of worship and adoration. Say the good part. People who do not understand what God has done for you will not understand the worship. They won't understand. You know why I've never wanted to retract? I've never wanted to. It's because when I think about, when I think about, I just was thinking about this this morning. Many of my contemporaries, okay, hood part. Many of my old friends that I know are dead or in prison. And if I had not had that encounter with the Lord, I wouldn't be standing here today. And you wouldn't be sitting there. So you may not understand, but I will not withhold my alabaster box. My alabaster box is my thankful heart to say, thanks, Lord. Thank you. Do you understand what God has kept you from this week? Sure, your lives are not perfect. Whose lives are perfect? On this side of heaven, brokenness. There's death. There's sickness. There's all kinds of things that we could grumble about and complain about. Life is not perfect, but he's a perfect Savior. And we will give him the worship and adoration that he desires and that he deserves. Why? Because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. I read today. No, it's two days. I've read this today, yes, but you can stand to your feet. This past week, I'm going through something. Something good. Look at somebody and say, I'm changing. Look at somebody else and say, I'm giving my alabaster box. I read in the book of Revelation, I was listening to this song. It was so deep. It hit me so, so deep. It just cut my heart wide open. And I tried to get the worship team to do it. And if it's not done right, it sounds cheesy. It's called, Is He Worthy? And these are the lyrics. It says, Is anyone worthy? Everybody say, is he worthy? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? of all blessing and honor and glory. Is he worthy of this? And it goes on to say, he is. He is worthy. It's found in Revelation chapter 5. I'm tempted 
to read it all to you. As a matter of fact, I am. And, and I started weeping as I, as I read it. I was laying in bed with my wife. I just, I couldn't hold back the tears. And as I'm growing in the Lord, I'm understanding more. In spite of my own personal suffering, in spite of what I personally face in my own life and the secret places, in spite of all of that, in spite of personal issues, in spite of mom battling with cancer, in spite of my busy schedule and all these other pressures I won't even go into that, that seek to break me, in the midst of all of that, I have found one who's still worthy to be worshiped. He's still worthy even when he doesn't fix my problems. He's still worthy when he doesn't fix the marriage when I want him to. He's still worthy when he doesn't straighten out my kids when I want him to. He's still worthy in sickness and disease. He's worthy when I'm abased and when I'm abounding. He's worthy. And as I close with this scripture, it says this, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loosen its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll and to look at it. The scroll is prophetic. What is going to happen in the future of what lies ahead? This, the book of Revelation is all about completion, about how the world's going to supposedly end and be recreated. So no one was worthy to look at it and to open it. it there has to be a spotless lamb, a pure sacrifice. Say a pure sacrifice. And so he wept much because there was no one worthy to open and read the scroll. But then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And look and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. I don't have time to get into that part of it. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And verse eight says, and now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayer of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth and then look and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying, worthy is the lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. 
If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.